sermon text for this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father, who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Perhaps you've, uh, you know the word paradox. Paradox is simply uh, something that is seemingly absurd or it's seemingly contradictory, um, but, and yet it has a profound truth to it. Um, one a British author said, uh, a paradox is like a truth standing on its head, upside down, screaming for attention. It, it, it communicates, it instructs. And the Bible's full of paradoxes. If you think about uh, that the first will be last, or the, the weak are the strong. Uh, that if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. The Bible's full of paradoxes of these upside-down truths trying to grab your attention. Well, today we have such a paradox in saying that fasting is feasting. Now, when I say fasting, um, this causes tremors among us. Uh, it terrifies us with ideas of great hunger pains and irritability. Uh, perhaps for others of you, fasting is something just it's a, a word from the Old Testament or it's a word that's associated more with the Middle Ages. Um, or perhaps for many of you, you've never even given much thought at all to fasting, what it is. And yet each of you, in a way, uh, practice fasts every day. You break your fast every morning when you have breakfast. You just break that fast of not eating through the night. And so breakfast is breaking a fast. Now, not entirely, as we'll see, but this idea of fasting, Jesus has much to say about it. He speaks more about fasting than he does baptism. And Jesus says that fasting is actually feasting, that, that practicing fasting actually leads to satisfaction and joy that you cannot get from food. That's kind of the paradox that we're going to see. Now, you know, we're starting out this year, and we uh, trust that God has to grow us, right? Paul says that you can water and you can plant, but God must give the increase. And so uh, this year we're looking at focusing on praying and fasting together. Uh, we looked at praying last week. We're going to look at fasting this week. Next week we'll look at how Praying and fasting advance the mission of the church. But fasting is part of this, of this year where we're seeking God to fill us, not with, a f not with food that will need to be replaced within six hours, but that he, would fill him, that he would fill us with himself, that we would have a joy that food can never bring. So we'll look at fasting today. Now, the passage that Judy read is a very interesting passage because there's there's three truths that jump off the page at you regarding fasting as feasting. That is that Jesus seems to expect us to fast. He expects us to fast. That's the first point. The second thing is going to be that Jesus instructs us on how really not to and how to fast. And, and then thirdly, that Jesus promises us. He gives us a promise that when we fast, we'll be rewarded by God. And we'll look at that. 
But, but notice in verse 16, right in the beginning, uh, he says, when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. Uh, Jesus doesn't command us here. I want to make sure that's clear. But he does assume, he does expect that we'll, that we'll fast. There's this expectation that fasting will be part of your Christian life. Now, if you were to read all of chapter 6, or at least verses 1 to 18, this isn't the only thing he expects. Uh, if you were to look in chapter 6, verse 2, he says, when you give, a given secret. In verse 5, he says, when you pray, pray in secret. In verse 16, when you fast, uh, through, through 18, fast in secret. In other words, he's giving us these three disciplines. So just as prayer is part of the Christian life, just as giving is part of the Christian life, he seems to put fasting at the same level, that he expects that we'll be a people who fast so as to feast on God. Now, what does it mean to fast? Well, well fasting is just the voluntary abstaining from food for a temporal period for spiritual purposes. That's all it is voluntarily abstaining from food. It can be a total fast where there's no food involved. It can be a partial fast like Daniel when he ate only vegetables in Babylon. It, it, it's for a temporary, it's for a short time, a short duration, but it's for spiritual purposes. It's not a diet. It's not kind of intermittent fasting, which some people are finding to be you know, more of a, a benefit for their personal health. It's for spiritual purposes. There's a lot of things that we're called to abstain from, actually. And, and uh, broadly speaking, a fast isn't just food. It may be talking. It may be the telephone. It may be the computer. It may be a lot of different things to abstain from for spiritual purposes. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 5 uh, encourages people to fast from sexual intimacy within marriage for the purposes of prayer. So, so this abstaining has a spiritual direction. Now, this isn't new. You know, Jesus, would have, Jesus did fast. We know that he fasted at one occasion, at least 40 days and 40 nights. The assumption is that he practiced fasting. It was through and through the Old Testament. There were national fasts. There were congregational fasts. There were, there were fasts that were both private and public practiced in the Old Testament. Um, we know that Jesus, though, expected us to continue to fast. He expected his disciples to fast. In fact, in Matthew 9, really another critical passage in trying to understand what this whole fasting thing is about, he says these words, he says, John's disciples came and asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? And Jesus said, well, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he was with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. So it seems like Jesus expected in this period of time when he has ascended to the Father and before he returns that there will be a period, that period, where the church, the disciple of Christ, practices fasting. So if it's this expected, why doesn't anybody do it? How do we lose our way? Many of you are still trying to figure out what in the world he's talking about. What are we talking about going without food? The idea is to eat, to sustain, to live. Why is he talking about not eating? How do we lose our way? Well, I think there's two reasons that we have just fallen off the page, that this has kind of been ripped out of the page of what the Christian life is about. The first thing is cultural. I think we just live in an area of massive indulgence and comfort and ease. I mean, the last thing we want to do, uh, there is nothing in our culture that encourages self-denial. There's nothing in our culture that really encourages self-renunciation. 
or, or, or delayed gratification. I, I mean, the idea of incurring what brings perhaps for some physical hunger pains uh, to voluntarily go into that seems absolutely contrary to everything we're raised with. So I think nothing in the culture encourages this kind of Christian discipline. But I think the bigger issue that has fallen off the page, particularly in the church, is, uh, is really theological. And what I mean by that is I think preachers are often scared to call people to fast. It sounds legalistic. It sounds this focus on the outward. And, you know, we in modern evangelicalism focus on the inward and the spiritual. We don't look so much to the outward. Uh, we don't look to these, these self-denying disciplines anymore. We're afraid that we'll confuse it with the gospel of grace. We'll think that if we begin promoting these external acts of righteousness, that somehow we're going we're gonna to kind of darken the beauty of the gospel. And it's really, it's really foolhardy. Uh, because this fasting is a means of grace. What do I mean by that? Uh, a means of grace is a vehicle through which God has given to us to find grace and to find strength and hope in God, that God wants us to practice these things. This doesn't, this doesn't implicate the gospel as insufficient. We don't fast so that God loves us. No, we fast because God loves us. Fasting doesn't bring or secure God's love. Fasting flows out of understanding. God loves me and I want more of him. And so I'm going to deny distractions so I can have more of him. So, so a, a lot of why we don't fast is, I think preachers in particular have erred and not explaining the role, the good role, the godly role of external disciplines in cultivating a love for God. So, so see here, point number one, verse 16, twice he says it in 16, says, when you fast, Jesus expects us to fast. This really didn't come back on the scene until many of you have read Richard Foster's book, A Celebration of Disciplines. That was really a, a kickoff. I encourage you to read that book. Um, at least read that section on fasting. It's very helpful. It has a lot of good things to say. Um, but, but he expects us to fast. Now, this leads us to the second point. How do I do it? You know, what, what, what do I do if he expects me to fast? Uh, do you feel implicated by that, by the way? Do you feel encouraged? Do you feel um, as if, wow, now that I know Jesus Christ has expected this of me, his love isn't contingent upon it. But now that I know he desires this for me, does that not make you want to fast? You know, that's the whole point with this Tuesday coming up. We as a church are going to fast. And so I, I want us to see that we're not doing it just because the leadership of the church is saying, hey, this is a good idea. We're trying to help lead one another into obedience to these things that Jesus desires for us because what he desires for us is good. So the question is then, how do we fast? And you're going to see in 16 and 17, he instructs us both with negative and positive. You know, one is a warning and one is an encouragement. Look with me in 16 because this is the instruction on a negative level right he says and when you fast do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others now what jesus i think is speaking about here he's speaking to the pharisees the pharisees by the way was a a group of men 
It was a holiness movement, started probably 200 years before Jesus was born. And, and I think it was probably started out on a, a good footing in the sense of these people saw the culture kind of moving away from God, and they wanted to live holy lives in front of other people. They wanted to be as, as a witness, and so they focused on fasting and praying and giving and acts of charity. Uh, but, but it had lost its, it had gone off rail. As you can see, Jesus using these Pharisees now as an example of how not to fast. Now, he's not criticizing that they're fasting. He's criticizing how they're fasting. And he says that they're fasting to be seen by men. He says because they disfigure their faces. What does he mean by that? Well, I think probably means he, they put ash. They tried to lighten the hue of their face to show kind of a washed out. They must not have eaten in a while. Now, Pharisees fast at Usies on Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, and some would argue that they chose Mondays and Thursdays because those were the market days when the towns were flooded with people coming from the rural areas bringing their goods to sell because they wanted to be seen. This is what Jesus is criticizing, fasting to be seen. And that's why he calls them hypocrite. You know, the word hypocrite really was the word used for actor in the ancient theater. Uh, he was saying they're like actors. You know, actors back in the day did not use makeup. They used a mask. They would put a mask on uh, to portray whatever character they were portraying. And so he's saying that they're, they're putting a mask of religious zeal outwardly for everybody. They're showing this religious zeal, but inwardly they want the approval and the admiration of others. They want their reputation lifted by their spirituality. And there's an irony here. That, that fasting is to bring about a humility, but for them it was bringing about a vanity. They were proud of their humility. This is why Jesus says to them, they've received their reward. They wanted the attention of man. They wanted the affirmation. You got it. Expect nothing from God. You got what you wanted, but expect nothing from God. Now, now today, for us as Christians, this is really... Uh, for us not to be warned of the dangers of hypocrisy would be to really miss the point of the passage. You know, the, the Christian always runs the temptation of wanting to uh, kind of live out his faith so that others might see and be impressed. Now, there's, there's a danger here because he says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. But there's a difference there. We are to live out our faith before one another, but not to be seen by them, but to be as a channel, as it were, to lift their eyes to God. Uh, but, but the Christian needs to be concerned because we love the admiration of one another. I mean, do you, not, do you not feel good when someone comes to you for your spiritual counsel? Or do you not feel good when they come to you for your spiritual understanding of this situation or this text? Are you not tempted uh, to enjoy it when people ask for you to pray because you pray so well? You know, th th there's, a, there's a danger here to us. We love the, this admiration, this adulation of people. It can be, you know, you're tempted that, you know, with communion perhaps that your head's down and you're reverent. People may think how, how meditative you are. 
or your lips are moving to let other people know that you're praying or that you pray a certain way when someone's there so they might think well of your prayer. All these are temptations to us, just as the temptation is to me that my preaching will cause you to respect me more than I'm looking for God to be honored. They're before all of us. It really is a, a point of, of great confession for us in the church. You know, as one author said, the worst sins are spiritual sins. You know, we, we need to confess before God when we have walked out of faith to God without any reverence for God, but more concern for what my neighbor thinks of me. Will they be impressed? Did I say something smart? Did I add something of value to the spiritual conversation? We need to repent of that. That is for all of us. So there isn't one person in this room that this doesn't apply to. And we just ask God, God, forgive me. May your affirmation and may your joy in me be greater than that which I'm trying to draw from other people. So, so that's the warning that Jesus gives to the church. But then he follows it with positive and encouragement instruction. Look in verse 17. He says, when you fast, he says, he says, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may be seen, and not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. In other words, he's saying, look normal, act normal. Don't seek to draw attention to yourselves. Now, now let me try to make this clear. Uh, speaking about fasting in secret, um, I don't think he means absolute secrecy or absolute privacy. I, I think what he's saying is that we're, we're not to do our fasting uh, to be seen. In other words, it's one thing if you're being seen as fasting. It's different when you're fasting to be seen. So th there's a difference there. Uh, for someone to know that your fasting isn't ruining the fast unless you've helped them to know it so that they think more highly of you. So William Law, uh, a British Anglican priest, uh, says, a husband or wife can hardly fast without the rest of the family knowing it. The privacy of fasting doesn't suppose a privacy as excluding everybody from knowing it, but does not seek to be known. So this idea of if people know it, that's one thing, but you don't want people to know it. That's different. In other words, the fast is to be done to God. We are going without food or abstaining from something so that we want more of God. We want to remove the distractions of our life so that we are finding God to be our feast, that we're feasting on God, as it were, that we're fasting unto God and all that God has for us to live godly lives. That's the idea. See, a godly fast is never mechanical. It's not an act of duty. Well, we've got to do this because he told us. It's an act of devotion. We love him. And we know that God, who gives us life, can sustain us even without food. Even without food. And, and this, this godly fasting is never to be horizontal. It's more vertical. We want him to be pleased as we want to find our pleasure in him. And this kind of fasting is not contractual. It isn't, I'm going to do this because you promised to do this for me. Now, he does promise rewards. He does. He says, you will be rewarded. But, but it's not a quid pro quo. It's not, okay, I did my part, you do your part, as if we're two equal parties coming to a contract. No, no, God in his graciousness 
rewards his people as they walk in obedience to him. And this is the third point. Jesus promises to reward us, or Jesus promises that the Father will reward us as we fast in secret. Now, what does this mean? This, is, this gets us a little nervous, you know, because we do feel this, this tit-for-tat arrangement with God. I, I, the word reward is really just to give back. It's not necessarily, it's not to be paying back. It's to give. Uh, it's, it can be born out of grace. It can be God giving justice, for example, to people who need justice. That's the same word. So when it says he will reward us, what he's saying is that God in his grace is, is going to satisfy us. He's going to satisfy us. So seeking rewards is not necessarily a mercenary endeavor. To seek rewards when born out of love is not to be seen as self-centered. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. So Lewis makes this comment, there are rewards that do not sully motives. A man's love for a woman is not mercenary because he wants to marry her, nor his love for poetry mercenary because he wants to read it, nor his love for exercise less interested because he wants to run and leap and walk. Love, by definition, seeks to enjoy its object. So fasting unto God, looking for him to reward us because we love him, it's not a sullied event. But the question is, what are these rewards? So when we fast on Tuesday, what, what are we looking for God to do in response to our worship? Well, there's a number of things. I'm going to give you probably five of them. And hopefully between the five, you'll be touched by one or two of them. Uh, the first one is simply this. It does create a humility. There is a humility that is gained when we fast. Uh, th there is this, this sense of fragility of life, dependency that I have on food. I, I mean, when hunger pains hit, you get hungry, and your stomach begins to say, feed me. That's what it will do. And it begins to scream for attention. You're reminded of how contingent you are. We are absolutely insufficient in and of ourselves. Compare that to God. God is fully sufficient. God needs no help to exist from outside of himself. He is, that's called the sufficiency of God. He needs no help from no one or no thing to exist. He exists in himself. We do not. We need help. We can't go six hours without eating. We need all kinds of help to sustain the life that we have. We are not self-existent. And fasting reminds us of that. In fact, it's a blessing. We're so quick to deal with the pain as soon as it makes itself known, that is, hunger pain. But there's a blessing in reminding us of our need for God. It humbles us before God. We can't even go a day without food. We promote ourselves and think that we're so, so accomplished and so ready for whatever life throws our way, and we can't even exist without bread. So, so, so it humbles us, and it, it helps us to recognize the creature-creaturely relationship, or the creator-creature relationship. It's very instructive in that way. But not just that. Fasting will reveal our idolatries. It will reveal 
the things that we're loving, particularly fasting for food. Fasting for food reveals the mastery that food can have on us. This mastery, this idea. You know, we used to we used to eat to live. Now we live to eat, and and we eat when we're not even hungry. And, and this is just for full disclosure. This is a guy that loves spices, sauces, and seasonings. So. This is a weak spot for me, you know, love to eat. And, and that, that fasting begins to reveal. And by the way, food's not the culprit here. Food's not the bad guy. In fact, we're called in 1 Timothy 4 to give thanks for all things, including food. Food's a good thing. Food is a blessing. God has made us to eat, and he's put us in a world of edible things. So this is God's idea. But fasting from food shows us uh, the various loves or the contingency or, or the enslavement that we can have to food. You know, th this is the particular thing with fasting. The insidious problem for the Christian is to be distracted from God, not with bad things, but with good things. And food is a good thing. A and it's these good things that we get filled up on that distract us from the great things, such as God. It's kind of like uh, when you when you you know your spouse is preparing for you a steak dinner, and uh, this used to happen when mom would make us a great meal, and we'd come in and knock down two bowls of popcorn before dinner. It's not that popcorn's bad; uh, it just it ruined our appreciation for a much better meal. And, and so there are many good things that distract us from God. And fasting helps us realize that food can be that distraction for us. But not just food, let's broaden it a bit. You know, abstaining from, from the television or abstaining from the phone. Uh, you know, the smartphone, we grab our smartphones between 90 and 360 times a day. Uh, we spend on average two and a half hours per day on our smartphones um, to give up the smartphone for a day, uh, you will see it reveals to you how controlled you are by that device that you carry around. But not just smartphones, it may be computers, it may be sitcoms, it may be television, it may be pornography, it may be any, that's a bad thing, but it can be any other good thing. It can be computer games, it can be gaming, it, whatever, all those things. You abstain from them and you will, you will reveal to yourself what kind of grip it has on you. Again, these aren't necessarily bad. We just don't want to be controlled by them. And this is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He says, he says um, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. In other words, they both have a temporal benefit. They're not going to last forever. So, so fasting helps reveal these idol idolatries. You know, um, Abraham Kuyper, I preached on him about three years ago. He was a, a Dutch statesman, theologian, ambassador, great, brilliant man. He wrote these words. This is about 100 years ago he wrote this. It's still very relevant. He says, unhesitatingly, we recommend fasting for the Christian of today. In fact, we're inclined to say that there is more reason for fasting in our day than ever before. Corrupted human nature yearns for luxury and tends to become more corrupt as wealth and luxury increase. God knows that we cannot well be checked except by burdens and sorrows. 
and he himself has suggested fasting, by means of which we may guard against the unspiritual influences of ease and luxury. So, so it reveals to us our idolatries. It humbles us. Uh, but, but thirdly, it opens us to direction from God's Spirit. Now, let me explain that a little bit. You know, we are faced with all kinds of decisions of which the Scripture doesn't speak clearly. Who should I marry? When should I marry? What field of study should I enter? What job should I take? What city should I move to? There's all kinds of decisions that are very big and very significant and can be life-altering that the Scriptures, you, can't, you don't turn to a chapter and a verse to find these things out. And so fasting is a means by which God has given to us to humble ourselves that he, through his spirit, will give us direction. We see this in the early church in Acts chapter 14 when Paul and Barnabas were appointing elders in the churches. And he called the people to fast and to pray for guidance, which we will be doing later in this year. And he's praying, he's saying, God, we don't know what to do. But we know this is an important decision. We're going to fast. We're going to go without food. We're going to find that you're sufficient to give me the wisdom I need circumstantially or through the counsel of believers to lead us in the way we need to go. And, and, and so there is a fasting for decisions, a fasting. God, we need wisdom for this issue. We don't have it. We need you by your spirit to give it to us. It's a means. Does God write it on the wall when you're fasting? No, not necessarily. Last time something was written in the wall, it was really bad for that guy. So you don't necessarily want that. But, but you do want the counsel of others. You do want his spirit to, to lead your heart in the direction that he has to go. In concert with other believers. Don't make it all subjective. Broaden decisions beyond your own, the walls of your head. Uh, then, then fourth, uh, what fasting does is it brings spiritual victories. It brings spiritual breakthroughs. Now, let me explain what I mean by that with a, with a verse. So in Isaiah 58, God speaks, because God's rebuking the people of Israel for their fasting in a false measure, in a false way. He says these words. He says, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? God is saying that he was calling his people to fast to bring about spiritual victories and spiritual breakthroughs. In other words, you know, if we have situations in our church, in our family, there is unreconciled conflict. We fast. God, we cannot reconcile this conflict. You must bring help to us. Or if we struggle with pornography, or we struggle with eating, or alcohol, or the computer. God, I have a pattern of sin that I cannot break. You must give us the victory by praying and by fasting. God advances his people in holiness by praying and fasting. We have a dilemma ahead, a sickness, an issue. God, we have no one to turn to but you. And you're finding God to be sufficient in the face of odds that you are unable to compete with. But now God enters the picture through your fasting. He sees you humbling himself, and he brings breakthrough. We see this in the early church. You know, fasting advances the mission of the church. Next week, from Acts 8 and 13, you're going to see the church gather together. They pray, and they fast, and then they send out missionaries. And then you see the fire ignite in the, in the Mediterranean basin, and the gospel begins to move all at the impetus of praying and fasting. God moves his mission and his mandate of an expanding kingdom through 
praying and fasting. He does that at a corporate level with the church. He does that through our lives. So I want you thinking, you know, Nanny Caroline, our granddaughter was uh, diagnosed with leukemia, began to fast. God, this is beyond us. We need you to move. And many other situations in life, trying to, trying to say, God, this situation here, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to do it. We are faced with odds too great for us. We pray and we fast for wisdom, for strength, even if it's wisdom to endure. God doesn't deliver us from every issue. He may deliver us through the issue. But he delivers us through as we persevere by faith. So, so, so there are spiritual breakthroughs. If you've been struggling with pornography, or you can't get off the computer, or you can't get over the anger and the bitterness you have over some issue, then we pray for victory in those issues. And God sees, you know, a humble and contrite spirit God will not despise. And we humble ourselves with fasting and prayer. And then the last reward, I think, well, there's more, but the last that I'll cover is this idea that it actually increases an appetite for God. And that's kind of the paradox that I began the sermon with, that fasting does lead to feasting. We all know that full bellies lead to dull minds. It's true. We experience that at every Thanksgiving. You, you know that things just power down. We, we grow satisfied with the pleasures of this world, whether it be food or whether it be wealth. And, and it lessens our motivation to pursue great things from God. We're easily dissuaded from getting up uh, the greater pursuit of, of God. And, and fasting from food, fasting, what it does is it denies us those temporal pleasures, those lower pleasures, and it opens us to a hunger. Fasting intensifies our hunger for God. When you fast, um, you realize not just how dependent you are, but how sufficient he is. And, and we need that. And, and we see this in the life of Jesus, no less. In John chapter 4, when his disciples come up to Jesus and they say, hey, Rabbi, get something to eat. And he says these words. He says, uh, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Here, here Jesus is feasting on God. He, he is so, he's finding God to be so sufficient that food is unnecessary. And it allows him to focus on God. And God, un, God invites us to find him sufficient. You know, in the book of Isaiah, he invites us, he says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. He's speaking metaphorically in God. Every one of us knows the best meal that you've ever had passes within half a day. It passes. It cannot sustain and give you satisfaction. Only God can. And yet, and yet we often fail to pursue sufficiency in God and joy in God because we're so easily dissuaded by these lesser goods. In fact, one author said, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of God's glory, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there's no room for the great. 
God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. That's what we're doing this year. We want to awaken our appetite for God. We want more of God. Uh, most of us have lived enough years to know that the, the new iPad or the new toy or the new gadget won't satisfy for long. Life doesn't satisfy. God has created you for something greater than anything this world can give you. What this world is, all the gifts and the good things, as we said, they're just shafts of glory leading us to God. You have been designed for something more. You will never be content with the things of this world. Go look at Howard Hughes. Just look in the past of the rich and the famous and how discontented and unsatisfied they were when they had everything that you could ever dream of. You've been built for God. You've been made in his image, and you won't be fully satisfied until you find your satisfaction in him. And that's what we're praying and fasting for, because we want him. And if it takes denial of these temporary gifts to find our sufficiency in him, then we welcome it. And so we're going to be fasting. So every second Tuesday, that is this Tuesday, we'll be fasting. Now, let me give you some steps to walk in joyful obedience. So just as a reminder, the text, Jesus expects us, he instructs us, and then he promises us this reward. So what are we going to do on Tuesday? And I want to be very practical here for a minute. First off, I want you to start slow. Just start slow. Don't come out of the gate. If you fasted before and you feel as if you want to, then, then the fast will begin on Monday night. You have dinner with your family, and then Monday night, and then Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, you're not eating breakfast, you're not eating lunch, and then you break the fast on Tuesday evening with your family. So that's a traditional fast. It kind of works along the sundown to the sundown routine. But start small. If you've never fasted, you may just this Tuesday want to miss and skip a breakfast, just a breakfast. You know, eat night before, skip the breakfast, eat lunch, eat dinner. Uh, start small if, it's, if it feels like it's too big of a step for you. And, and I would say this as well, that if there are medical issues that you face, whether you're diabetic or hypoglycemic or, um, or you're at a job that requires you, if you have a staff meeting, let's say, that you, you need to be there and, and you need to participate in the meal, Th then, then just, there's alternatives. You know, turn off Facebook. Put your smartphone down for the day. Don't watch your favorite football game. Uh, so so th there can be other means to abstain from things that distract us from God. But just start small. And then maybe next month when we fast again, maybe you do two meals. So I don't want this to be a burden for you. Uh, well, I don't want this to be an undue burden. Okay, the second thing I would say would be to make a plan. That a lot of times when I used to fast at the beginning, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't plan. It, it ended up being a diet. It, it, it wasn't, it, the day wasn't altered for spiritual purposes. So, so make a plan. That is, set aside time. On, on, on Monday evening, I'm going to take half an hour, and this is what I'm going to do. And, and on, in the morning, here's what I'm going to do. And at lunch, here's what I'm going to do. So make a plan with what you want to do. Uh, you know, it can be praying. It can be worship. It, it can be walking and just enjoying the creative power of God through nature. It can be doing an act of service. It doesn't have to be kind of a monkish feel in a dark room seeking God. It can be serving somebody by doing 
uh, giving them help and aid. That's part of a fast. So first start small, make a plan. What do you want to do with those times that you would be eating? How are you going to repurpose that? And then thirdly, have a target. Have a target. What do you want God to do? How do you want him to move in your life? What spiritual victory? Now, we as a church will be looking at, and you see in your bulletin, the, um, that card that was printed up, fasting together, some, some basic encouragements and instruction. But you see on the back, yeah, but delight yourself in the Lord. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be praying and fasting together that we as a church would find greater delight in God than the things of God or even the things of this world. Religious things can be as idolatrous as anything else. We want God is what we want. And so what the target is, is we want to delight in God. We want to know him. We want to discover him. We want to see his immensity and his glory and yet his kindness and gentleness. We want to delight in Jesus Christ. We want to understand the cross. Paul himself said that I resolve to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. So God, help us to understand the nature of our sin. Help us to understand the nature of Christ's sacrifice. Help us to find our hope and our joy and our satisfaction. Help us to feel the freedom of forgiveness that he guarantees us through the cross. So give me the implications of the cross. Let me understand them in deeper measure. Let me taste them. And then delighting in the spirit. God, fill me with your spirit. Lead me by your spirit. God, God, give me the wisdom that I can walk, you know, to try to be a spiritual person, a godly and spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. So, so we are praying. These are the targets that we have on this Tuesday. But it's not just these. When I delight in God, I don't want to be wrapped up in pornography. Help break that from me. I don't want to be wrapped up in gossip and materialism. Help break that from me, God. Let me find you. Let me delight in you more than I delight in shopping. Or let me delight in you more than I delight in food. Or let me delight in you more than I delight in criticizing other people. So what we're doing is we're praying and fasting that God would make us holy people for the glory of his name. And that's where our joy will be. And so, so have a target. And then the last thing would just be be easy on yourself. So extend grace to yourself. If, if you fast on Monday night, you get up and you got a splitting headache on Tuesday and you can't focus, eat a cheese stick, eat an egg, eat, you know, eat enough to try to knock down the distracting so that you can focus on God. That's what it's about. It's not meant to be torturous. It's meant to be uh, enabling us to find God sufficient. So if those drink broth during the day, takes the edge off, or drink fruit juice. The, the sugar helps you uh, to think more clearly. Take the steps necessary. This is a discipline that we're going to grow into and that we're going to continue doing. As always, if you have questions, this has been much more of an instructional sermon, uh, but if you have questions, come forward and ask, or, or ask one of the elders, or ask uh, someone next to you, and if they don't know, then you both should come up. And, uh, but but, but we, I want this to be a time where we're growing as a church in, in holiness and, and in joy. Because we know that that cycle of discontent, 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 it leaves us very, very despairing people. And yet coming to God will never have that discontent. So let me br just pray for us toward this end and then I'll try to orient us to the table.